Beloved, if you have your Bible with you today, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. And today, hopefully, we'll be well, almost finishing the chapter. This week, as I was going through my stuff, I realized that I only had three chapters left of the Gospel of Luke. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to preach next? I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Okay, let me read it to you. I'm going to read from verse 29 down to the end of the chapter. Okay, verse 29 to 38. And he, that is Jesus, told them, the, the disciples, this parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. The day and the day will close upon you unexpectedly, for it will come upon all those who live upon the face of the earth. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is, that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend, it on the, night, or spend the night on the hill that is called the Mount of Olives. And the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Amen. As we're finishing this sermon, this message, this answer, an answer of a question that turned into a sermon of Jesus, the disciples have come to him and they've asked them about the signs. What will be the indications? How will we know when the end of the temple of Jerusalem and certainly at the end of the age, we know from the other gospels, they ask him, what shall be the sign of your coming? So they have asked these questions and Jesus has gone through it and he's given an elaborate answer, very clear, warning them that the end when it comes will not be an easy end, that there will, it will be a time of tumultuous revolutions. There will be unease, tremendous unease in the world. And yet despite all of these up, upheavals, whether they're uh, environmental problems, because Jesus warns his disciples there will be signs in the heavens and signs upon earth. People will be so terrified and so stressed that they'll faint. They'll be overcome with with. Apoplexy. I love that word, apoplexy. They faint. You know, they get so stressed that they just... Oh, it's like a, from Pride and Prejudice, one of those ladies from that, you know. Jesus has warned them time and time again. And then he tells them the parable of the fig tree. And he points out that just as whenever you look around you and you see the changing of the seasons... As an indication that winter is past 
And summer is coming, and we, we can relate to that. When we see that the days are getting longer, it's still light outside. The snow is melting, it's the sound of drip, drip, dripping. The, the thermometer shows that it's above minus degrees. The birds are twittering in the forest after the, the winter silence. We, we understand naturally that a change is occurring. And Jesus warns his disciples and all disciples throughout the ages that we will be able to interpret, to be able to read those things that are happening. We'll be able to predict, in some sense, the future by what is happening in the present. And he warns them. And he makes this statement that heaven and earth shall pass away. Kingdoms shall rise and kingdoms will fall. The world will keep turning. And it may seem as if what I have said is not going to happen. But rather the world will disappear before the, the, the things that I have spoken his words will stand forever. You can trust it. And we know them to be true because the prophecies that he made about the destruction of Jerusalem, that city that was destroyed in 70 AD through the, the invasion of the Romans when they punished the rebellion of, of Jerusalem and they burnt the temple and they flattened the city and they crucified Tens of thousands, indeed someone has once said hundreds of thousands of people were crucified around the hills of Jerusalem. And if you were to go to, to Israel today, the landscape still bears the scars of the destruction that was done by the Romans during that time. And we know if Christ's prophecies concerning the destruction of Jerusalem were fulfilled, then his prophecies, those warnings he gives about the end of time, at, the, at his returning, when the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth, those two we can take for certain. Those two we can trust and depend upon to be fulfilled fully. Today, I want to look at verses 34, 35, and 36. Here again, Jesus gives, I would say, pastoral concern to his disciples. And through the disciples, by the Holy Spirit, to the readers of the gospel, all the way down to the modern age. And he says, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close upon you unexpectedly like a trap. Be careful, he says, in my Bible at least. The idea there is to guard yourself. And I looked it up in different translations. It said, take heed to yourself. Be careful not to allow your minds to be dulled. Protect your thinking. Jesus warns his disciples and all disciples throughout the ages that as we see these tremendous tumultuous, terrible things happening, our hearts run the risk of becoming dull. We run the risk of becoming overwhelmed by these things. 
Uh, it says here, be careful or your hearts. The word for heart is the, the Greek word cardia. It doesn't mean your physical bodily heart. It's your mind and your emotions. It's talking about your, your living self. We all know that what we think affects how we feel. If I think I look good, I feel good. And here, Jesus is warning his disciples that they are to guard their hearts. They are to guard their thinking. I was reminded of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the the wailing prophet, the crying prophet. He was sent as a missionary to his own people. And God told them from the very beginning, they will not listen to you. Their hearts will be hard. They will persecute you and prosecute you, they imprison you, and end up, they, they murdered him in the end. One of the, one of the bewailings, the moanings of Jeremiah was, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Lord, why are all these bad things happening? I don't understand. And he became depressed. He could see all of this wickedness and all of this injustice and the, the bad people, I want to say bad people, in power, the corrupt government. And they were leading the nation down a, 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 a one-way path to destruction. And Jeremiah could see it. And he could see where they were going. And he warned them of the destruction that was about to come upon the nation. That God was going to send the Babylonians. And yet the priests and the leaders of his day. And the, the prophets. The other prophets. Not, not Jeremiah. They all said no no. Peace and prosperity. Peace and prosperity. And they were enjoying this wonderful corrupt time. Almost like Sodom and Gomorrah. In their, their little state. Poor Jeremiah was so overcome that he got depressed and he bemoaned and he cried and he wailed. And I, I often think that we as Christians, we who seek justice and fairness and righteousness, we don't tell lies, we don't behave corruptly. We expect a standard of righteousness. We practice the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. But unfortunately and sadly the people of this world don't follow that rule. And oftentimes in our culture, in our day, we see the, the injustice, the unrightness. The, it's just not right, but people seem to prosper. And we notice that people get burnt out from it. People get, Christians especially, get tired and worn down and their hearts become burdened with the weariness of having to deal with the injustice of, all, of it all. And Christ warns those who were there and we who read that we are to guard our hearts in the light of all of these tumultuous times, these terrible tribulations that are to fall upon the earth when we as Christians can see what's coming. We know that Christ is on his way. And that judgment is accompanying him. And yet the world does not listen. 
Yet people love the darkness and despise the light. They stop up their ears and turn their attention and deny that which is right in front of their face. And we as Christians can feel powerless. And yet Jesus commands us here to be careful, to be careful of our hearts, to treat them with care. One of the translations I looked up said, do not allow your heart to become overburdened with these things. And then he gives us a little list of three dispositions. Or I like this. When I looked this up in the Greek, I found out that the Greek word here is krapola. It's the Greek word krapola. It means to be hung over. I did not know that that was a biblical word, but now we do. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. And the idea here is, do not be overset, overburdened with a sense of nausea. He's not saying that Christians are going to become alcoholics and give themselves over to drink. Because he, he's talking about a heart issue. Remember, he talked about the heart issue. Don't allow your heart to be overburdened. So he's not talking about drunkenness in the flesh. He's not talking about don't, don't get hung over. But our hearts to be overburdened, to be worn down, to be weighed down, to be overcome with a sense of nausea or sickness. A spiritual sense, a, a, an emotional sense, a mental sense, where we, have be, we become so tired of everything. I mean, if you've ever seen anyone who is suffering from a hangover, uh, they can't take a noise. The light's too bright. There's a sense of sickness and they're almost paralyzed. Christ is warning his people to guard their hearts from a, a sense of weariness, a sense of too much. As Christians, we can get too much into the things of the world or be overcome, overburdened. I like that word, overburdened. I, I don't, don't know if any of you ever played the game when you were children, Buckaroo. I know Vigo hasn't because he's my son, we don't have that game at home. The, the game Buckaroo where you had a, a plastic mule and you would put little uh, gold prospector stuff on the mule and you would try and get as much on that little game toy as you possibly And then at a certain point when it got too much, the, the mule would, would flip up its back legs and all the toys would come off. And you, if you put, when you, you put too much... And the idea here is that we have, we're so overburdened, we're so overladen that we can't move. That we, 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 we are pressed down and held prisoner by the concerns and, and difficulties of life. We can become hopeless. Our hearts can stop caring. We're made sick. By the worry and the concerns of the things that are happening around us. We, we, 
find it really hard to handle the people just don't see with the eyes that we see. He then goes on and talks about drunkenness. But again, here he's talking about a heart issue. It's not drunkenness in the flesh. He's not saying Christians are going to go out and start getting drunk. The idea here is drunk so much. The, the, the word in the Greek is um, methe. means intoxicated or an intoxicant. So almost the same, we get the word for meth, that drug meth, from this. The idea is that you're so intoxicated that you are comatose. Not drunk as in the idea of people in, in some sort of drunken revelry where they're wandering around behaving madly and badly. No, it's talking about the, the f- so drunk that you pass out. So overcome by intoxication that you're paralyzed. If you've, I, my youth, I used to work with drug addicts a long time ago. And uh, when the drug addicts had taken their drugs, you know, I would go and visit them in their apartments. And uh, they would be passed out. Some of them with needles in their arms and stuff, you know. They, they would be sleeping for hours. They were like human skeletons. And the smell of the apartments were, was always like, it would just like make your eyes water, burn your eyes. You wouldn't want to breathe because of the smell of it. And they were intoxicated because of the drugs that they were taking. But they weren't behaving like crazy and wild. They weren't having a party. They had been overcome with their intoxicant. And they had become comatose. They were just unconscious on the sofa floor. Oftentimes they would just have mattresses on the floor. And they would lie there. Jesus is warning his disciples that we don't fall into that pattern. The pattern of being so overcome by concern and fear. By the distress of what is going to happen. That we become comatose. Become useless. We, we, we give up. We give in. We're so overburdened and weary that we're good for nothing. Jesus is commanding his disciples to guard their hearts, to not allow their minds to become dull because of the fear, because of the stress and the strain of the things that will are about to happen. And he goes on about the the cares of the world. Now you think of the people who are going to be living in that time, was they see the, the signs in the heavens, the environmental signs, the signs upon the earth, global warming or whatever you want to call those things. This the wars and rumors of wars and the pressures and the strains that, uh, that are happening among the nations, earthquakes and, and a time of great instability going on. When you think that we're having to deal with all that, 
And yet, also then it says, and the cares of the world. Talking about the, just the normal everyday stuff that people go through. As well as everything else. All of the existential difficulties. The global difficulties. As well as having to feed your family. Pay the rent. Raise your family. All the rest of the stuff that's going on. Finding your purpose in the world. Just all the different cares that are happening. He says, don't allow yourself to be overburdened and to be paralyzed and to be made useless by these things. So much so that we become so distracted by the things that are happening in the world. We become so overwhelmed by these concerns that we miss the expectation and the anticipation of his coming. Look in the end of verse 34. And that day will close it upon you unexpectedly like a trap. Now that day is the day of the Messiah, the second coming. When Christ shall return for his people. The Bible tells us that we can be caught unexpected. That we... Or like, oh, I didn't even realize that was happening. The word unexpected means by surprise. Jesus has told his disciples that they will be able to discern the age. They'll be able to see because of the clear indications in the sky and upon the earth and among the peoples of this world what is about to happen. But yet, those who are his disciples can be so distracted by the things of this world, can be so overwhelmed and made nauseous, be so overwhelmed and be made intoxicated, comatose, insensitive in their faith, useless, that they can miss not miss the second coming. None of us will be able to. But they'll miss the joy and the anticipation. And the readiness for it. Jesus warns his disciples. And then he says in 35. Because it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Now this is how we know that he's not just talking to the Jews. He wasn't talking about a local event. He wasn't just talking about something that was going to happen then. He's talking about an event that will happen upon the face of the whole earth. Globally. All people, regardless of what side of the world that you're on. Whether you're in day or whether you're in night. When Christ returns, the universe will know about it. No one will be held in the door. Gosh, what is that? Is Jesus come back? I didn't know. There are some heretic groups today that say that Jesus has come back. He's here today, but he's in an invisible box in the sky. They believe that Jesus is somewhere in the sky in an invisible box. And that he's going through the telephone book of heaven. Deciding who's right and who's wrong. Who's worthy and who's not. Of course, whenever they came up with that erroneous doctrine, we didn't have airplanes. 
I don't know how they get around that today, having aeroplanes. Maybe Jesus is in a place where the aeroplanes don't go. But the Bible tells us and warns us, for this will come upon the face of the whole earth. And then verse 36, he reiterates, he says again, be always on the watch. The idea here is never fall asleep. The idea here is to, to keep yourself awake. Now, he's not talking physically. He's not saying that we should never fall asleep, people. I enjoy going to sleep. But rather that we should be in a state of awareness and readiness. Of expectation. That our minds are not to be allowed to become dull. That we should be aware, sensitive, be always on the watch. That's an order, it's a command, it's an action that you and I must respond to and obey. He's not saying he's going to do it for you, he's saying that you must do this, you must stay on your watch. And you know, during this time of the corona time and the great changes that are happening around us globally and the stresses and the strains that are that are happening. Um, it's very easy to become distracted. It's very easy to allow it to move your thinking in your heart. Now whether you either become hypersensitive to it or you become desensitized to it. I think I'm one of the desensitized people. You just hear so much of it that you just can't be bothered anymore. You're just like, yeah, whatever. And we let it pass. But we're commanded here in the scriptures not to allow ourselves either to become hypersensitive or desensitized. That we are to... Be ever vigilant in our faith. And again, I'm not saying that we should go out and be peering into the sky and waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that kind of watching. It's the watching of your own heart. It is the gov governing of your own mental and emotional facilities. You must guard yourself. Night. All human beings, being human beings, we're great at guarding and watching and knowing what other people should do. We all have an opinion on others, their lives, and how they should live their lives and what they should do. And if they only did this, it'd be better for them and blah, 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 blah. Rubbish. Jesus Christ commands us to have an eye upon ourselves, to watch over our own hearts before we even think about speaking to someone about their own, their heart. Be on your watch. And I like the way, in my Bible it says, always. Always. Beloved, for those who are in this time, the end times, the times before his coming, and if there was ever a generation that's closest to that time, it's us. There's never been a, a generation in history that's ever been as close as we are now. We are commanded to be 
on watch, to be sensitive, to be awake, not to fall asleep, not to, to be distracted by the things of this age or by the, the politics or the controversies or the foolishness of man. Our expectation must be that Christ returns. And that has to be the, the point of our message, that Christ is returning. But we need to preach and warn people that he, when he returns, he returns not as the lamb of, that takes away the sins of the world, but rather as the lion, as the judge, as the king, as the conqueror. To him, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Kiros, the great conqueror. He will not come as Uncle Jesus, all nice, meek and mild, in his bathrobe and his slippers with his cool beard, well-manicured fingers. When he comes, he comes as a warrior, as a champion. Let us always remember him as the conqueror. Yes, he will come and rescue his people, but he comes as Prince Charming upon a white charger. As one who comes to rescue with the power of his arm through violence. It says that we are to guard our hearts. And then it also says, and pray. Pray that you might be able to escape all that is about to happen. The word pray is the Greek word for petition, a request. That we are to seek God continually. The idea of being found worthy isn't that we'd be worthy unto salvation. But rather that we would have the honour of being alive at that time when Christ returns. It's not a case of if you're worthy enough to get to heaven. It's whether you know that you are a part of that generation that experiences that coming. That day, that day that is to come, when I was going through this, I, I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about the resurrection. Verse 51 and 52, it says, listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, that we'll, we will not all die. But we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet that is at the coming of Christ. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. There is coming a day, the Bible says, when God, when Christ will return and it will, he will take up his people. And again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in chapter 4, reading through to 5.11, Beginning at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. So we believe that God will also bring Jesus, or with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, 
We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, the second coming, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, who have died. For the Lord, that is Jesus, himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be there with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. My brothers, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For we know, for you know that very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them all suddenly as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, but they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that that day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day, and we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And for those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells of, of it. Of a day, the day that shall come upon the earth. And the good news is that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have acknowledged him as the Lord and Savior, have saw that their sins separate them from him. And have repented and believed upon his name that Christ shall rescue them. And we neither know the time nor day. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows when he is going to come. But we are told in the scriptures that we are able to interpret the things that happen around us. The age in which we live. Jesus said to his disciples, when you see the fig tree and all the trees beginning to turn green. You know the summer is coming. Therefore, when you see these things happen on a global scale, you'll know that the end is near. The Bible tells us of a time when Christ shall return and it will come unexpectedly. The people of this world will not be ready. Just as in the deluge when God flooded the world in Noah's time and the world was not ready did not believe, did not receive the warnings of Noah. And yet, when Noah entered the ark and the door was closed, it began to rain. And the Lord cleansed the world through the flood. There is coming a flood, but not of water, but of fire. The Bible says that the heavens and the earth shall burn away. They shall melt like wax before the fierce anger of God. Beloved, let us not make little of our sin. Let us always remember that God's standard is not our standard. 
that we judge with the judgment of men. But he, he judges with a perfect judgment. He has laid down the law. We know it. It's the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You shall have no other God before him. You shall honour him. We think of the, the commandments that are horizontal, the second table of the law, the, the commandments about how we interact with human beings, with other people. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery, whether it's external or internal. You shall not covet the belongings of another. Which of us have ever kept one of them? None, never. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And that God's perfect justice and righteousness demands, it must be appeased. There must be a punishment. There cannot no sin, no crime can go unexcused. But the good news is that God has laid upon him all of our iniquities. The Lord Jesus Christ came as a saviour to seek and to save the lost and to deliver us from the wrath of God that is to come. God did not leave us helpless. He did not abandon us in our sin, but rather he came and lived a perfect life, fully appeased God in everything. Never once did he ever think anything imperfect, ever feel anything imperfect. Never did he do anything sinful. He lived a perfect life before the law. And then he gave himself as a perfect sacrifice on behalf of those who have broken the law in order that he might rescue them and protect them from the wrath of God that is to come. All of the punishment that was meted out for you and I, all of the punishment that we have earned, for the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, all of that death was laid upon Jesus so that any man and every man who would ever cry out, who would seek him, will find salvation in him. Jesus said, I will no way ever cast out anyone who comes to me. Beloved, there is a day coming when all men must stand before God in judgment. You will either hear guilty or pardoned. You will either pay for your own punishment or Christ will have paid it for you. Believer, Christ warns us not to be overcome, not to allow ourselves to become nauseous or intoxicated, comatose, not to be overcome by the cares of this world that our attention should never ever be focused upon this world because it is a temporary thing. Everything will end. 
We are not to be overcome, but rather we are to keep watch upon our own hearts. We are to seek him and pray and govern how we think and how we feel and bring them under the authority of God's word. Remember, the Bible says, he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind, fantasia, the active part of your mind, is steadfast upon the Lord. Let us not be like the people of this world who will be overcome with fear and trembling and panic and stress. But let us, through our steadfast hope, demonstrate that we have a life that is greater than anything this world has ever known. That our Christ is coming back. The world mocks believers because we behave so much like them. It's as if we've forgotten or we deny that the Christ shall return. Beloved, in remembering what Paul told the Thessalonians, in the light of the second coming. He says, how should we behave therefore? He says, let us behave um, with self-control, putting on faith as, and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not suffer us to, uh, did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. But let us be alert and self-controlled. Let us not be like the people of this world or manipulated and controlled. Let us guard our minds and our hearts, what we think and how we feel. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us. Lord, that you meet with us, that you strengthen us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to guard our minds, we who are believers. That, Lord, we won't be overcome by cynicism or by hopelessness. We won't be wearied or overburdened, Lord. We, the frustration that comes from knowing the truth and yet seeing the world live in denial and unbelief. Lord, they can do nothing unless you yourself have caused them to believe. Please, Lord, as we seek to warn the people around us, to communicate and to demonstrate, Lord, your reality, we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to their innermost being, that you would command them and call them, that, Lord, you would convince them, and the Lord, that you would save them. As you've saved us, so save them. Oh, Lord, we pray, oh God, this for your glory and your glory alone, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.